0: was sick and at at that point in time I was like man I'm not sure if we can risk coming I wasn't sure if it was COVID or not and we're like you know we didn't want to uh, come and infect anybody and and it turned out it wasn't COVID but it was still bad enough that we still didn't want to infect anybody you know it was still pretty bad so uh, Pastor Kenny came and and last just last minute notice filled in and we watched online and what a terrific word you preached that was that was excellent sir thank you so much for doing that Um, But we're staying in the same vein we've been in for the last few Wednesdays since we stopped uh, with small groups. And the the vein that we're kind of been in is talking about generational stuff. Uh, generational things that we deal with. And tonight we're continuing that with generational cycles and this is the message I was going to preach last week and Pastor Kenny's kind of filled in that gap and then from the message the week before and now we're coming into this because God knows all things and plans all things. Amen. So this week we're coming into generational cycles. In Exodus chapter 20 um, is where we're going to be. We're going to read a small portion of the Ten Commandments, the portion of Scripture where the Ten Commandments is is found. But in this particular portion it talks about generational things. Uh, It's verses 5 and 6. And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. It reads like this you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now understand we're picking up right after uh, the Lord says, you shall have no idols before me, right? And it says, uh, or no other gods before me, no idols. Uh, He says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's our key scripture for tonight. So let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence tonight, Lord. Lord, we thank you for just moving in this place, moving on people's needs and talking to us, Lord, and speaking to us. And uh, We thank you, Father, that you interact with us. We thank you, Lord. Lord, you're so great. You're so big. You're so mighty. And yet you choose to interact with us. And Father, we're grateful for that tonight. Lord, I pray over this message that you've placed in my spirit, this message that you've laid on my heart, Lord. I pray that those of us in the room, uh, uh, many of us in the room who are affected by this, who need to hear this, Father, I pray that our hearts would be wide open to receive your word. And that, Lord, we would be willing to walk out in obedience, whatever it is, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. So we all have certain behaviors, right, that, that we oftentimes attribute to our parents, right? How many of you are with me on that? Uh, you have certain behaviors or attitudes or personalities or things that come out in you and you go, oh, I'm just like my dad. Oh, I'm, I'm just like my mama, right? And sometimes it's your spouse that points it out. You're just like your dad you are just like your mama. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's people that we are closest to that point that kind of stuff out, right? Uh, but we, we all have different behaviors that we attribute to either our parents or those people who raised us, right? The people who raised us that we pick up on. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of times I find my, myself saying, uh, I'm just like my dad. Right. And and some of the things I remember, uh, you know, my dad passed uh, about two years ago, but some of the things I remember in my dad is, is anytime company was over, anytime people came, my dad had to feed them. I mean, he, he was a cook. He was a good cook. And, and he fed people when they came to the house, man. If you came to the house, you, you ate. I mean, that's just what it was. And if he wasn't cooking, he had cooked earlier and had enough leftovers to warm it back up for you, right? And that's kind of how he was. And if you, if you stayed over, if I was coming in to, if with our family from out of town and we stayed over, he would always ask, what you want for breakfast? You know, what you want for breakfast, Steve? And, and my answer to that was always biscuits and gravy. And you can tell that by looking at my waistline. You know, I, I always said, I want some biscuits and gravy, Dad. He'd be like, yes, sir. You know, we'd get up in the morning and he'd have a full on... I mean, he didn't just cook biscuits and gravy. He, he fried up some ham. He made some fried apples. Uh, he would cook some eggs along with that. And I'm like, Dad, all I wanted was biscuits and gravy. But he would have a full buffet, you know, because that's kind of how he was. When he cooked, he cooked for an army, even if it was just for two people. And I find myself to this day that... When I love people, when I love somebody, when, when people come to my house and I want to express to them how much I love them and how much I care for them, I usually cook for them. And when people come spend and stay the night at my house, I'll ask them before they go to bed, hey, what do you guys want for breakfast? Because I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to cook you some breakfast. And then I always throw in there, hey, I make really good biscuits and gravy just like my dad. You know what I mean? I'll throw that in there because I really want biscuits and gravy. So I really want them to say, yeah, biscuits and gravy sounds good, right? And, and in that way, I, I take after my dad. You know, and my dad was was awesome. Uh, But there were some things about my dad that wasn't so great too, right? And I think all of us can can say that and look at ourselves or look at our parents. And and as we get older, when we're younger, uh, we typically think of, of especially our mothers as being absolutely perfect, right? And as you get older, you start to realize, uh, okay, I got this from my mama and I'm not perfect so neither was she, right? Nobody was perfect and nobody in this room was raised by perfect parents. My dad, sometimes, he got angry pretty quick. If you disagreed with him, man, he, he'd get mad in a drop of a hat, right? He'd get angry. Uh, he was a little snappy sometimes. Uh, sometimes he would, just, he would just snap at you. And, and he would like, you know, it'd be like just, just, just a quick snap. Uh, he was mean sometimes when he was hungry, right? And, uh, and listen, all of those things and all of those attributes I saw in my dad, wouldn't you know it? And you could probably guess it, that what? That's right. My sister acts just like that. <laughs> my oldest sister, Karen, who sometimes watches, she acts just like that. She got all those attributes. I got my dad's biscuits and gravy. She got all the meanness and the snappiness, right? Now, I'm just teasing Karen that she's probably watching. I'm just, and her name is Karen. That's, that's true. Yeah, she is a Karen. So. Literally, that's her name. So, so, she gets mad and gets angry uh, pretty quick, right? Uh, no, I'm teasing. But, but yeah, all of us kids kind of have those attributes and we grew up with it, right? And there was, there was some things, there was good things that we get from our parents and there's some, some rough things that we get from our parents or things that we need to change, right? Uh, but how many of you know sometimes there are traits that get passed down with way more complications than just personality? Sometimes things get passed along our bloodlines and our generations that have a lot more complications to it than just personality. Than just getting a little hangry when you need a biscuit, right? Or just getting a little snappy when you're tired, right? Sometimes it's things that drag on and come through the generations and reach us. And it's things that really can complicate our life. So according to God's Word, there are spiritual genetics as well as physical genetics, Right? Now, now sometimes, you know, those of us that have, uh, some, some people in the room have a lot of hair and they have genetics that came down from their parents and people had a lot of hair. Right? And then sometimes there's some of us in the room that don't have a lot of hair. Right? And those genetics came down from people that, that passed that gene down to us. And some people in the room don't have any hair. Right? And, and that came down from genetics from people that passed it down before you. Right? So there's physical genetics, but there's also spiritual genetics. And, and those spiritual genetics can get passed down from generation to generation. So there's some, there's some examples of that. Uh, one spiritual generational thing is Adam's sin. Right? Adam's sin and it translates even in today the fallen world from the sin of Adam and Eve, right? It was a generational thing today that even today we deal with a brokenness in society, a brokenness in the world that came from Adam's sin. It's a spiritual DNA that got passed down for generations. And while no child is held responsible for the sins of their fathers, their mothers, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, he or she may inherit a propensity to sin in the same way the people before you sinned, right? So although you're not responsible for sins that were committed generations before you, you still inherit a propensity to act and misbehave and sin uh, the way those that came before you did, right? So there's a propensity for it that comes down. Uh, So it's not a blame game right? We're not playing a blame game right now or today. What we're doing is recognizing uh, the issue and recognizing where these things come from so that we can properly deal with them. Because how many of you know like G.I. Joe said it's half the battle, right? No one is is half the battle. How many of you even ever heard that before, right? How many of you know what G.I. Joe is? okay? I used to watch it when I was a kid, man. And uh, every Saturday, watch that cartoon, right? And no one is half the battle. So sometimes uh, uh, we know that no previous generation's shortcomings, and I want to say this, no, no previous generation's shortcomings are ever fatalistic uh, predetermination of what's going to happen to you. Uh, now, sometimes people grab a hold of the propensity That comes from the generations before them and they think, oh, just because I have that propensity, that is my fate. That's what's going to happen to me because I have the propensity for that, right? But I'm here to tell you today that just because you have the propensity for it doesn't mean that that is your fate, right? Uh, You can change your fate, through the power of Jesus Christ, right? You can change whatever fate was passed down or whatever propensity was passed down from generations before you. You can change that tonight. That's not something that you have to have. Uh, you can change it through God's grace and God's power. How many of you know that God has grace, right? We were singing about that in the first two songs and we about broke out in here. Amen. Where's Pastor Brad? We about broke out in here in those first two songs, man. Because Why? Because we were so grateful and thankful for the grace of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful and grateful for God's grace, right? So, so it, it about broke out in here because we're thinking about God's grace. Uh, but the same grace that we were singing about and the same power and authority that we were singing about is also the same grace and the same power and authority that can change your life. It can change. Listen, it can flat change your life. Right, Ms. Lucille? Flat change your life. Right? You don't have to go down the same paths that your parents went down. You don't have to go down the same paths that your grandparents went down. You don't have to deal with the same old issues that came down from generation to generation. We don't have to do that because of two things. God's grace and God's power. Right, these are things. So generational cycles, as we talk about, and I'm I'm talking specifically about, I call it generational cycles instead of generational curses for a reason. That's because generational cycles doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Right? Generational cycles don't always have to be a negative thing, but I do want to spend the first half of this message talking about the negative, which is generational curses. Right? Generational curses are this, a specific pattern that is deposited into our family, whereby the family members are more predisposed to repeat that pattern because of heightened exposure to it. So, so you have certain patterns that come down through your family, and if you're not careful, you will repeat the same patterns that you saw repeated in your parents and they saw repeated in their parents and they saw repeated in their parents because nobody decides to break out of it and say, no, I'm going to change this about myself, right? So, so, it's, so a generational curse is a specific pattern deposited into our family whereby the family members are more predisposed to repeat it because we have had heightened exposure to it. Uh, I think we could all pass the mic around the room and and, and say, yeah, you know, there were, there were some generational things that when I was growing up, I saw uh, in my parents or I saw in those who raised me or I saw in my grandparents. And now I'm looking down and I'm seeing uh, uh, my siblings or I'm seeing other people dealing with the same kind of generational curses, right? And some of y'all may have broke that stuff off of your life, but then you look at your siblings and your siblings are still struggling with it and dealing with it because they never had the opportunity, for God. Grace of power to intervene in their life, uh, or they never accepted it. And you may have a sibling that's predisposed with the same things that you were predisposed to, but living a totally different life than you. Right? I I got a brother uh, that I don't know very well, but he spent his entire life in prison. Right? Uh, Totally different from me. Same predisposition, predispositions. Uh, That's how you say that. Same predispositions. There we go. It's a tongue twister. Same parents, same, same generational things. My brother took one path and I took another path. Right? Two totally different lives. right? Uh, it, it, it happens. Esau and Jacob, two, two totally different lives, two totally different paths. Right? Just because you're predisposed to something doesn't mean that you have to follow that path. You have to go down that path. Here's some areas of generational curses that show up in our lives. Uh, that show up in many lives today. And some of this may pertain to you or you may have seen it in other families. But every, every part of this is something that people know somebody at least that has dealt with it. Alcoholism. Alcoholism can be a generational curse that comes down and predisposed to it from people who raised you. And people before that. Right, so alcoholism can be a a predisposed generational curse. Teen pregnancy can be a generational curse, can be something that flows down generation to generation. Divorce could be a generational curse, can be something that flows down generation to generation until one person stops it, right? Uh, Abuse, being abused and abused. We talked about two weeks ago how uh, people with a spirit of abuse find people that have the spirit of being abused. Right? And they link up. And if you, if you have that spirit of, of, of being abused or you have that about you, trust me, an abuser will find you. Right? That's why we have to break those spirits off of our life. We can't deal with them. We can't allow them to stay. Uh, uh, spirits of anger. Spirits of adultery. Spirits of pornography. Generational curses of poverty. Generational curses of poverty follow generation after generation after generation until somebody steps up and breaks it off, right, until somebody steps up and does away with it. Uh, Fear, worry, and anxiety generational curses that travel from generation to generation to generation uh, where the parents did nothing but worry and fear and the kids do nothing but worry and fear and then the great-grandkids come up and they do nothing but worry and fear, right? It's a generational thing that passes down. Unforgiveness and bitterness. Uh, In our family, we don't let things go, right? I'm not saying that about my family. I'm saying it in particularly about a generational curse on a family. In our family, we don't forgive, You know, in our family, uh, no, we make you pay, right? And those are generational curses that come down and and reap. You, You end up reaping what you sow, right? So, these are issues. So, there there are three steps to get to generational cycles or or curses in our families and in our life, right? These are three steps that typically happen for a generational cycle to occur, to begin in a family and start to wreak havoc in a family. Here they are. Uh, Number one is this. Somebody in the family sins but instead of repenting and turning from the sin, uh, decides to keep on sinning against God and against their body and against their family, whatever the situation is, In this way repeatedly until it becomes habitual sin in their life. So somebody in the family sins, does not repent, continues that sin, unrepentive, And then it becomes habitual sin in their life. Something that they continually do over and over and over again. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 through 27 say this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So it says there is a judgment if you go on sinning unrepentant, right? So this is the first step in creating a generational cycle or a generational curse on this family. If somebody starts sinning, doesn't repent and continues habitually. And most of the time they become known for the sin that they habitually do, All right. They become known for it. You may say, well, I've got a great grandfather who was the town drunk, right? He just, man was always drunk right? And, and in that case, if that's the case, they sinned, would have never repented, never changed their life, and they became habitually known for the sin that they kept committing, right? These are, these are things that happen in families and in our life. Then step number two happens, the habitual sin turns into iniquity, Right? So in scripture we learn about sin and we learn about iniquity. We learn about uh, they're, they're similar and they're related but they're two different things. So the habitual sin turns into iniquity. What's an iniquity? An iniquity is being bent towards a certain behavior or activity. You can sin so much that you create a bent in your life towards that activity, right? So, so the first part is, is unrepentant sin becomes habitual sin. The second part is habitual sin takes over the life so much that it creates an iniquity on a person's life or a bent towards that lifestyle, right? So all of a sudden there's an iniquity. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he's talking, it's a it's a precursor talking about Christ, right? That the Lord laid the iniquity of all of us on him. Right? That he took it all for us. So so let's talk about the bent of an iniquity for a second. It's a propensity towards certain sinful behavior. So the first time we sin we make we make a decision to do it. Right? We make a decision to sin. And then we have to make a decision to either repent or keep on sinning, right? So then that next decision is I'm going to continue in this or I'm going to repent and turn from it, right? I'm going to go a different direction. The third thing is we continue to sin so much that it no longer becomes a a choice, a mental choice. It's a bent that it just becomes a habit in our life. And when it becomes a habit in your life, it turns into iniquity, right? And the iniquity is a bent towards that. Uh, I want to talk about golf for just a second. Bear with me because I did some, this popped up, uh, the Holy Spirit reminded me of a conversation I had with a guy at a men's ministry meeting about 15 years ago. And as I was writing this, this conversation popped up in my spirit, and I had to go back online and and study this a bit more to make sure I got it right. Uh, Greens on a golf course are planted, and the grains of grass on those greens break towards any natural bodies of water that are in the area. So if you talk to golf pros, when they're putting on a green, it's hard to see because the grass is so short, but where the grass breaks, which means that the ball turns left or right, has to do with the grass leaning towards a body of water that's in the area. So, So grass, wherever it's planted, will lean towards the closest body of water. It might be so minute that you can't see it. It might be so small and minute that you don't know it. Uh, but God designed it to yearn for the water, right? God built and designed grass to yearn and lean towards the water. So, so we, like grass, were created and built within our spirit to yearn and lean towards God, right? In our spirit, not our flesh, but in our spirit, our spirit is created to, to, to lean and to, and to yearn for God. That's why when you come into a saving grace of Jesus Christ and you begin to worship that's why tears well up in your eyes that's why you begin to get all the feels when you're singing out to God that's, that's why all of the stuff begins to happen that's why you all of a sudden can hear the Holy Spirit and you have a desire uh, to make God the Father happy in your life and, and you want to do the things that, that makes him happy and you want to put away the things that makes him sad right you want to do these things because deep within in our spirit we have a yearning to lean towards God right just like grass has a yearning to lean towards natural bodies of water so golf pros all say that sometimes the the break of the green towards water doesn't happen so it's not always the truth so when we dig into this and you start reading and you say, okay, if all grass was designed to lean towards water, why then, what happens in those unique instances where a golfer looks at a body of water and can tell if he's a professional that this ball is going to break in that direction when he puts it? Why then would that ball not break when it goes in that direction? Why would it not turn in the direction that he wants? In the cases of new courses with man-made... Or fake water features. The grass knows the difference. What? So if they build a new course. And they plant grass. And they take a backhoe and dig out a lake next to that green. The grass knows the difference. And the grass doesn't lean towards that for a very long time until that water feature becomes really a part of that landscape. And then when it really becomes a part of that landscape in older courses, the grass will then start to lean towards that water. So if grass knows the difference, shouldn't we know the difference? (laughs) But sometimes we get a bent and an iniquity and we lean towards something that's not of God, that's an idol, that's false, that's fake, That's a generational curse and not a generational blessing. And we get bents in us that lean towards those things and it goes against everything within our spirit because our spirit is yearning out to lean towards our creator, not lean towards sin. Right? Isn't that incredible? I don't know about you, but I blessed myself studying that and and reading that. So I don't know if that blessed anybody else in this room, but it it blessed me when I I read that. Uh, That we're created to worship the real thing. And can I tell you, when you have experienced the real thing, and then something happens in your life that makes you lean towards something that's false, your spirit is in turmoil. Your spirit cries out within you. Because your spirit knows that you're worshiping a false God. Your spirit knows that you're leaning in a wrong direction. Because God has called us to worship in spirit and in what? And in truth. And He is truth. Amen. So we lean towards Him. So here's the third thing that happens. Iniquity becomes generational due to frequent exposure to the next generation. So, somebody sins in the family. Somebody makes that habit part of who they are. They just, they sin so much it becomes part of who they are. They habitually sin, they're unrepentant. And then next thing you know, it creates a bent in them and they start leaning towards a false gospel, a false representation, a false life, a false god, a false idol, things in our life, false emotions. Things that we're not called to lean towards starts to happen, right? And, And then when this bent happens and you're growing up with somebody with an iniquity or a bent, you can't help it but have that begin to rub off on you, right? It rubs off on you. So you can either do one of two things. I, w- I was watching uh, Last Man Standing, which is a television show the other day. And, and he was talking about he and his brother, right? He was talking about his dad. And he said, you know, when, when my dad was through with the conversation, he'd take a big old drag on that Paul Mall and blow it in our face. And that meant he was done talking, right? And he said he did that to me and he did it to my brother. He goes, I grew up absolutely hating cigarettes. My brother grew up and he's a Pall Mall man to this day. right? So you have a decision when that starts to begin to wear off on you. You have a decision to make in that moment. Either I'm going to go that same bent and that same direction or the spirit within you is crying out and you're going to lean towards where the spirit is telling you to lean which is lean towards the father. Right? And you begin to lean in a different direction. You you do something different than what you saw growing up. Right? Now some of us in the room picked up some habits, some personality traits, some things growing up and we carry them to this day. And some people in this room saw some things growing up that you absolutely didn't want any part of. And you walked away from that and changed that and through relationship with God allowed him to to create a strength in you so that you didn't have to fall down the same set of stairs your parents fell down. And you don't have to fall down the same set of stairs that your grandparents fell down, right? But you can stand up and change that generational cycle right now, right? You can step up and change it. So the next generation uh, is exposed to the iniquity of the previous generation. Abraham and Isaac, both committed the same sin of lying and saying their wife was their sister. The father did it, and then the son did it. Same, same thing. Same, same, same problem. So out of the same emotion, out of fear. They both did it, right? Uh, Jacob came out of the womb and was named deceiver, and then learned deception from his mother, right? So she birthed him, named him deceiver, and then taught him how to deceive, and in essence, when he left home and went off, he still continued to deceive until God wrestled him on a, on a, on a side of a bank somewhere and changed who he was, right? So, so these are things that we learned or he learned from his parents. Lot and Abraham split and parted ways. So Lot and Abraham were together, uh, sharing land, sharing property, being in, in connection. And I don't know about you, but if there's anybody in that section of the Bible that I want to be close to and, and cozy up next to, it was Abraham, Abraham had some serious promises from God, right? He had some serious promises from God. And if I were Lot, I would not have wanted to leave Abraham's side. Wherever you go, I go. You tell my animals to graze wherever you want, and I'll have them graze over there. I'm, I'm going to do whatever you do, because I want to be by somebody who has those serious promises of God, right? So in this case, Lot and Abraham split. And Lot decides, okay, if we're going to split, I'm going to go ahead and take the better part of the land. So I'm going to take this land over here and I'm going to go this way. Here's the problem. Lot took the property that was closest to Sodom, which was a very sinful city. The next time we see Lot later on in life, he has his family living up inside Sodom. They're living inside the city at that point. He's no longer camping on the, expor, on the outside of the city, running animals and doing the things that he was brought up with Abraham to do. But now he's inside the city, right? So God takes mercy on Lot because God decides to destroy the city. And because of Abraham praying, and because of Abraham interceding, God has mercy on Lot and his family and sends some angels up into the city to save them right? So these angels come up to Lot, say, you need to pack a bag, like right now we're out of here. God's getting ready to destroy this city, you got to follow me, right? And they leave. Now as, as they became a part of Sodom, a sinful city that raised their daughters there, the husband and the wife uh, came together there, the iniquity that was inside the city becomes a part of Lot's family, And as Lot begins to leave, the next thing that we see is his wife not yearning for what God has for them because God decided to rescue them out of all the people in that city. God decides to rescue them and not in gratefulness for what God was doing, but in a yearning for the iniquities of the city, she turns around and she causes her own demise. Then Lot takes the daughters and he escapes to the high country. And they they go up and begin to live, just Lot and his daughters. And the next thing you see is the iniquity and the sinfulness that was in Sodom that, that got inside the family, that got inside Lot's daughters. Next thing you see is Lot's daughters getting their father drunk and committing incestual sex with him so that they can become pregnant. Decisions and generational cycles after generational cycle after generational cycle. Lot's daughters had a couple of kids who, who over courses of generations became the Ammonites and the Moabites. The Ammonites and the Moabites were fierce, uh, uh, fierce enemies of Israel. And, and they, 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 took, they took some beatings because they were on the opposite side of God. Generational curses, generational cycles. The generational cycles beget generational cycles beget generational cycles beget generational cycles until somebody stands up and says, not with me. Right? When somebody steps up and says, not with me. So there are four types of, of iniquity. We've talked about the three, three things that happen, the three steps to become an, a, a generational cycle in your life. But I want to talk about the four types of iniquity that curse families. Here's the first one, idolatry in the occult. Idolatry in your life. And the occult in your life. Both of those things create generational curses on families. Both of those things accepted by whoever begins to create a curse until somebody stands up against it. So idols and the occult. Our our key scripture was dealing with the sin of idolatry. Our key scripture we read in the beginning was talking about the sin of idolatry right off the bat. So so the generational curse can be the idolatry and the occult. Occult practices uh, invite evil into your life. And they're often revealed in pulls towards darkness, unexplained sicknesses, destructive behavior and self-harm. So generational curses of the occult on your family show itself in those ugly ways. All of a sudden, you have uh, unexplained sicknesses. Your family members are being pulled towards darkness. You have uh, destructive behavior and self-harm. And that stuff starts showing up in your life. Because at some point, there's a generational curse that's attached to a, a cult or idols. The next one is sinful patterns. Sinful patterns can, can, can be any of, of, of the great sins of the Bible. But any of them. But it could be pride. It could be fear. It could be rage. Anger. Sexual immorality, bitterness, these are, these are all things and patterns that can become generational cycles and curses if we let them in our lives, right? The next one is destructive behaviors and faulty mindsets. This could include things like patterns of self-harm and suicidal tendencies. Things that, that pop up. I, my, my Lord, I've, I've heard situations and I've been on the phone with people. I, I remember a, a dear friend of mine and I was on the phone with him one time because his eight-year-old was in the basement and his wife was holding him down because he was threatening to kill himself. You know, an eight-year-old grew up in church and threatening to kill himself in a basement. Tell me there's not a generational curse or something or a spirit that needs to be cast out of that. I remember I was in the car business still then, I was a manager in my office and I got that phone call and I had to step out of my office and walk to the back lot and I'm praying and interceding for this family and, 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 and praying deliverance over this little boy who's dealing with this spirit of suicide, right? But, but how many times does uh, patterns of self-harm and suicidal tendencies get passed from father to son and that, or passed from mother to daughter? right? And it, and it follows suit until somebody stands up and breaks it off and says no longer is that going to be a pattern in my family's generations. No longer is that going to happen, right? The, the next one other than patterns of self-harm and suicidal tendencies could be religious spirits and, and, and strongholds. We talked about that Sunday. We talked about religious spirits in people's lives and that can be a generational curse, it can be a generational curse, and I said religious spirits are the most stubborn spirit to deal with because they believe that they're doing the right thing. They believe that they're right. And, and the hardest person to get, one, to, to get to change is somebody who believes they're right. right? So religious spirits and religious strongholds, uh, matter of fact, in Acts 7, 51, Stephen uh, said this to the religious leaders right before they killed him. <laughs> But he said this, uh, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you, religious spirits, thinking they're right. He called them out on their stuff. They got so angry they yanked them out of the, out of the temple, took them outside and stoned them to death right? He called them out on it. Stiff-necked is unyielding and unteachable and unbending. That can be a generational curse that follows person to person to person to person. Unyielding, unteachable, unbending. There's nothing worse than an unteachable spirit. Nothing worse than an unteachable spirit. It, it follows and follows. And, and the, he called them stiff-necked. He also called them uncircumcised. That was a little bit of name-calling, <laughs> right? stiff-necked, you un- unyielding and unbending people, but then he said, you uncircumcised uh, in heart and ears. Uh, think David and Goliath, right? We said, uh, no, you uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a name-calling thing. He was basically saying, you're, you're, you're a Gentile, basically, but he wasn't saying you're a Gentile physically, because how many of you know that people can be externally yielded to God, but internally not, and that could be a generational curse on your family. It could be externally yielded to God. I have it all together. I know it all, have it all, have it all together, externally. And internally not yielded to the Lord. And that's what Stephen said to these Pharisees. He said, yeah, you're, you're, you're circumcised physically. But your heart and your ears are not circumcised. You're yielded to God on the outside, but on the inside you're mean as rattlesnakes. You're hateful and you're bitter and you're unforgiving. And you don't have the heart of God, right? That's why they got so mad they killed them, because he called them on their spirits. They <laughs> called them on their stuff, right? So, we see this, the next one is this, physical and mental sicknesses or a spirit of infirmity. These are things that that can be generational, right? Diseases such as cancer, heart disease, mental health issues, depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, these are all generational curses that show themselves in the form of mental or physical sicknesses. That's why when you go to a doctor and for the first time, and you have to fill out a form and they ask, has anybody in your family ever had a history of heart disease? Because there's genetics there, right? But wrapped up in the genetics is also spiritual, because we're, 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 we're body, spirit, and soul, right? And, and you can't separate the three. Body, spirit, and soul are, are all kind of yielded together. So diseases like that follow down and pass down through generations. Our scripture said, the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Let's talk about that word for a minute. So what did he mean exactly? And, and some people will read this scripture and not dig any deeper and go, well, I don't hate God, so I'm okay. I don't, I don't hate God, so, so I'm alright. You know, I, I may not be doing everything I'm supposed to do, but I don't hate him. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm okay from these generational curses, these things that come through. Well, what he means by hate in this moment is those who have turned away from God. Or better language might mean this, they turn their back on, on God and His ways. They've decided to live how they want to live. And can I tell you that that happens in church all the time. Church folks aren't immune from that. And in churches all the time we see people that come in, sit in church every single week, but live how they want to live, Monday through Friday through Saturday, right? And they turn their back on God's ways the rest of the week, right? So, so this is, uh, those who hate me is actually talking about those who aren't following His path. Those who aren't doing what He's asked us to do. What has God asked us to do? Have a heart after His? To love people the way that, that He calls us to love people? see people the way that God sees people, forgive people when they hurt us, that we, we do the things that the Bible has asked us to do, and we don't turn our back on God's ways in any area of our life, right? It's something that we're, that we're supposed to do. So how do we break those negative generational cycles or curses? This is, this is first thing. It starts with you. Anybody in this room that recognizes, man, I've got some generational things that have passed down from generation and I I see some negative generational cycles in my life, right? This is what I want everybody in the room to say right now. It starts with me. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. It starts with me. So how do we, how do we do this? How do we break these things? First of all, the first and foremost, how do you know where the head goes, the body will follow. So you have to change your stinking thinking before the body will do what it's supposed to do, right? You gotta change your mindset first. Colin uh, was a wrestler in high school, and, and I used to go to his wrestling matches, and, and man, when you're out there and, and you got to pin somebody where their head goes, their body's going to go, right? So, th- so they would always be trying to grab behind the neck to, to maneuver and change, and if they can grab behind the neck and maneuver and pull the neck down, the body's going to go that direction. If they can pull the neck to the left, the body's going to follow it to the left. The enemy knows the same thing, and if he can get your thinking to go to the left, he knows your body is going to follow it to the left. If he can get your thinking to go to the right, he knows your body's going to follow it to the right. Right? So your, your physical, your, your spiritual and physical enemy, the devil knows the same thing. Right? So, so how do we break these? Number one, in our minds, we've got to recognize the promise and power that we have through Christ. That we have a promise and a power in Jesus Christ. We've got to recognize the promise and the power we have. Verse six says this, God will show mercy to thousands of generations of people who what? who love Him and keep His commandments. So, God will show mercy to thousands of generations of people who love Him and keep His commandments. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. So the first part of breaking generational curses over our life is making a decision to accept the power and the grace of God to love Him and follow His commandments. I'm going to make a decision today that that I'm going to love God in all areas of my life. Not just the areas that it's easy, or not just the areas that I want to, or not just the areas where I'm not currently struggling, but I'm going to follow God in all the areas of my life right now. Right? I'm going to follow Him and, and in that promise and power we're going to see strongholds break. So we not only have the power to break strongholds off of our family, but we have the ability to also create new cycles that reflect the righteousness and the character of God and pass those down from generation to generation. We saw it in the Old Testament a lot with Israel, right? We saw Israel turn dark walk away from God, began to worship false gods, and it went on for generation, 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 generation. And then we'll see Israel come back and repent, turn back to God, and then all of a sudden uh, we'll see generation after generation after generation serving God. Right? It's the same thing in our walk with Christ today, that if we make a decision to break those cycles we can create new cycles in those areas of my life. And listen, I'm talking to Wednesday night Christians, right? Wednesday night Christians, uh, you, guys, you guys are here twice a week, you know, you, yeah, your love for God's probably maybe even a little stronger than those who come on Sunday, right? That's the joke anyway. But Wednesday night Christians, you're like, man, Pastor Steve, you know, we've got it all together. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> so so we, we've got it all together on Wednesday night, but let me tell you this, you can have it all together in 19 ways and have it wrong in one, Right? And many times we as Christians can have it all together in 19 different ways. And then have one way that we're messed up. One way that we need God to show up in our life. One way that we need to break generational curses over our life. One thing that we deal with that is opposite of God's commandments. Right? That we break that off of our life. Uh, So generational cycles can also be a good thing. Here's number two. Number one was recognize the promise and power that we have through Christ. Number two is this. Stop blaming our parents or our past family members for the poor decisions we're currently making today. Woo! It just got real, didn't it? (laughs) See, it's real easy to say I'm making these bad decisions because I got it from my mama. I got it from my mama. I'm making these bad decisions because I got it from my daddy, right? But this is the thing, just because, and we're going back to the beginning of the sermon, just because you're predisposed and you got something from your parents, doesn't mean you have to make the decision to follow down the same path. If you have a predisposition in that area, okay, got that from from family, got that from generational curses. However, I don't have to make those decisions today because in my walk with Christ, I have the power and the authority to break them off of my life, right? So we stop blaming our parents, our past uh, family members for the poor decisions we're making. Generational cycles are the reasons for what we struggle with, but they're not excuses for us to stay that way. we get to change it. Ezekiel 18, 12 says this, why do you quote this proverb, the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge? That's that's a weird weird proverb, right? But he says this, and and literally that's all the scripture, right? It sounds like I said, why do you quote, and then the scripture comes, but this is the scripture. Why do you quote this proverb, the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge? This is the truth, because the opposite of that is, once we become Christians, we are no longer chained to the past. So once we become Christians, you might have that, that predisposition, but you're not chained to it any longer. Right? That means the sour grapes your father ate, you don't have to spit out. Right? You're not, you're not tasting the sour grapes of what your father ate. Once you claim Christ, everything changes for you. Right? That means you have power over those predispositions. They don't have power over you any longer. Right? So we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to break every chain. Break every chain right, that has kept us and our family in bondage. Step number three is this, get accountability. If you have that one area, man, 19 areas of your life you've got it going on. 19 areas of God, uh, of your life you're serving God and doing and following His commandments and doing what He's asked you to do. But my goodness, I just can't forgive people. That's a big one. That's an issue. 19 areas of my life, I got it going on. But I smoke a little crack on Saturday night. Yeah, whoa, that's that's a big issue, right? That's an issue. There was a certain movie about a chocolate pie. And if you know, you know that pie can be ninety nine point nine 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 percent chocolate. But if there's a little bit of something else in there, I don't want to eat it. Right? My wife and I have a saying in our house. <laughs> don't get mad at me church. <laughs> I'm just being being real with you. We have a saying in your in our house and we, it, you, we said it a lot more when the kids were little right, and coming up. We're like, it's just a little bit of poop in the brownies, right? And they say, Dad, I know, I know, but we go to church every week and then this, you know, but this is something, you know, that all the kids are, oh, it's just a little bit of poop in the brownies. Listen, I don't want to eat those brownies, right? And they're not honoring to God if they got a little bit of that in it. And we definitely don't want to serve that up as praise. Right? So, so we need to make sure that, that we understand. So, so accountability in the one area, the one area we struggle in, accountability in that area. James 5.16 says to confess our sins one to another and to pray for each other so that you may be healed. Right? Accountability in that area. So because of generational cycles you will always be more tempted in the area of your family's bents. Right? There's generational cycles are a real thing. Generational curses are a real thing. You'll always be more tempted to do what your family did in the areas of those bents, right? You'll always be more tempted there. Uh, but you have to make sure that you have godly accountability in your life, especially in those personal areas of struggle. And what does that look like? It may be sexual temptation, right? It, it might be sexual sin that you have an area of struggle in that you need somebody to, to be accountable in your life. It might be your attitude. You, you, you might worship the roof off of this place on Sunday, but on Monday you're hateful as all get out. It might be your attitude. It might be your disdain and dislike for people. You may love God, but just don't like people. There may be something in your life that you're struggling with, and it's just that little bit, but it's something that we need accountability in this area, right? And if you can't get it together, find a, a brother or a sister that you trust and get some accountability in that area. Somebody who will ask you the tough questions, right? Hey, how did you do this week? Did you cuss out any cashiers lately? (laughs) Did you get mad and chuck that McDonald's coffee back through the drive-thru window this week? Did you punch anybody out this week? Are you still walking in forgiveness? Are you still walking in love? You know, have somebody that's going to ask you the tough questions in the areas that you might struggle with. That's accountability. So, Galatians 3.13 says this. Christ rescued us from the curse. That he became the curse to rescue us from the curse. But when he became the curse and died on the cross, he put the curse to death. So, we as people can follow a dead curse over our life. Or we can follow an alive Christ who was resurrected, right? So we've got to make that choice. So Jesus helps us overcome anything. So this is what curses do. Generational curses try to make you pay penalties for not only your past sins, but the iniquities of your fathers and fathers and mothers before you. Generational curses try to make you pay for the past. And Jesus is saying, I already paid that price. You just have to walk in the power and authority that I've called you to. Right? And quit serving dead curses. So, stand with me tonight. I want to pray. There's a, yeah, yeah, come on up. So a couple of things I want to do tonight. I, I want to pray over us. Uh, but this is something that's pretty deep. You know, this, this is something that needs some chewing. So in a, in a 45 minute sermon, um, this is something that you probably need to take home and chew on and begin to talk to the Holy Spirit about. All right. begin to ask the Holy Spirit to to show you some areas in your life, like am I predisposed to this? Is this something I'm struggling with? Is this why I'm struggling with it because I'm predisposed to this Lord? Is this a generational cycle or a generational curse on my family that needs to be broken off? And have the Holy Spirit begin to talk to you, teach you, walk you through breaking that off with the four steps we just went over. Right, walk you through breaking those curses off of your life. So that's something that you need to do. So I'm going to pray over you specifically that you hear clearly from the Holy Spirit in the areas of of struggle in your life. Because many of us in this room uh, are great Christians, love God, follow God, do what we're supposed to do 19 out of 20 times. But then some of us in this room have that one thing that maybe you're the only person that knows about it. But that one thing that you struggle with or you're dealing with, that, that that temptation or that issue that you've got to fight. So in those things, whatever they are, that you make sure you give them to the Lord this week and ask the Lord to walk you through those steps to get rid of them. Uh, secondly, uh, as soon as we close in prayer, we've got Jim and Cindy Oldenkamp. This is their last service with us as they're heading back up north. So. Uh, I, I I say, you know, they call people snowbirds that come down from up north. I think they're sand birds. <laughs> so I think they belong here. In a few months a year, they, they go on up to, to Minnesota, right? So they they're really belong here. They're, they're hard. <laughs> they have my heart. Uh, but we want to pray over them for a safe journey as they travel. Uh, so I want to pray for them. Um, I also want to ask you, Jessica and I uh, serve in, a, in an Assembly God ministry called Marriage Restored. And we're coming into a weekend where we'll be with 17 couples uh, who, are, who are, all have their own personal struggles, their own situations in their marriage. And we're going to walk through about 48 hours of boot camp uh, with 17 couples who are struggling. Uh, Jess and I are, are getting ready to leave to go do that on Friday. Uh, this is the first one we've done since we came to be pastors of the church. This, however, is something we used to do four times a year. Uh, But we took a year off when we became pastors here so we could focus on the church. The second year we took off because pandemic hit. And now we're in this year and we're going to start getting it back going again in Florida. So this is what we ask you to do. We covet your prayers this week. So we ask you to intercede for us. And and anytime you think of it from Friday night at 7 till Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And if you, uh, if you would remember those times and any time you think of us, would you just intercede and pray for that weekend uh, that people find the healing that they're looking for, that the Holy Spirit moves and does some miracles like he always does. Amen. So just intercede for us in that. Third thing, Dean asked me for prayer uh, earlier, and we're going to pray over Dana. I'm assuming she's homesick. Okay, well, we'll get that in a second. It's longer than I thought, so you just come on come on up here, Dean. Um, so, Jim and Cindy, would you guys come up? I'm going to pray over you guys first, and then what I would love for you to do is just stretch your hand towards Jim and Cindy. We're going to pray over them. Let me get a drink. Jessica. Actually, we're going to pray for them first, then I'll pray for you guys. Okay. Father, we thank you for this precious couple. Lord, this couple, they're warriors for you. They're deliverance ministers. (laughs) They serve you in, in many different capacities, Lord. Father, they follow you and serve you. And Lord, they they do your will. They they come and be a part of this church for half a year. And then they go bless another church in Minnesota for half the year. Lord, I pray over them as they travel. I pray for traveling mercies over them and their vehicle, Lord, that you would just surround them with, a, with angels on every corner. Lord, that you would protect them in their travels. Father, I pray that you would bless them along the way, that any fuel shortage that's happening out there won't affect them that they will have the, the wisdom and the Holy Spirit guidance uh, to pull into the right gas stations at the right time to get the fuel that they need to get home. Father, that you would just bless them and give them favor in every area of their travels. I pray, Lord, that their drive home wouldn't be a hassle and a, a struggle, but would be a pleasure. That their drive home would be a joy. Holy Spirit, that you would just invade their vehicle as they travel. Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to them as they travel, that you would talk to them and communicate with them and and bring joy up out of them, Father, that they would laugh and enjoy their time together on this trip. Father, we pray for protection, we pray for guidance, we pray for joy, we pray for favor. And Lord, as they return home, Lord, that you would guide them and, and uh, help them to just have a great time with their family that they return to see. Lord, we pray for your protection in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I'm going to throw it in there. Bring them down here for good. That's a, that's, that's a selfish prayer, Lord. That's just me. But bring them down here for good if that's your will. If that's, we'll, we'll take them, Lord. We just want you to know that. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jim said this to to Jess the other day. They were coming through growth track. And Jess was teaching on spiritual gifts. The last class, class number three in growth track talks about spiritual giftings. And Jess was teaching that class and coming through it. And Jim comes up at the end of class and says, hey, Jessica, do you know what the most important spiritual gift is? And Jess goes, let me think about it. Um, I'm not sure, what is it? And and Jim goes, the one, the one you need at the time. Thank you, I didn't want to mess that up the most important spiritual gifting is the one you need at the time <laughs> i thought that was that was incredible that was so good and and then i messed up the delivery of that you believe them so, Dean, come on up. I'm going to pray over you guys and dismiss you. And then, Dean, you come on up for prayer. But, So, Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, I pray over your people that as they go home this week and begin to ponder this message and, and begin to, to look at areas of their life, maybe, Father, that if there be 19 areas where they're following you flawlessly, Lord, but there's one area where there's a struggle. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us. That you would tell us exactly the areas that we need uh, deliverance from or work on or healing in. Uh, The one area we need to proclaim your power and authority over. Uh, The one area that we need to take authority over and say it stops with me. Father, I pray that you would move on each and every person in here. And Lord, uh, you, you don't need an altar call to do this work. You don't need a church service to do this work. You need an open and a willing heart to do this work. And Lord, I pray that if anybody in this room needs to stop a generational cycle, that they would have an open and a willing heart to take the stand. And Lord, let you do the work. And Father, we thank you for that tonight. Lord, bless everybody as they go. Um, Bring them back in in safely and securely and in giant numbers, along with all their family members and every, every neighbor they have back on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night.